Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to wherever you are in the world. And please let us know where you are at. Email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. My name is Kevin Garber. You're listening to the itsamonkey.com podcast episode number two. And with me is James Peter, co-founder of 89N. We, we made it to the second one. We made it to the second one. It's impressive. <laughs> And thanks for all your feedback. We got a couple of tweets. We got a couple of emails. Someone tweeted, they asked us, how did we get our It's a Monkey um, name? Well, there's there's no grand story to that. We were just looking for a quirky domain and I stumbled up across that domain and it popped up and uh, we liked it. So uh, we do things here a little bit spontaneously sometimes. Yeah, sure do. Yeah. I still uh, still remember our chats of uh, the whole monkey suit thing. We were going to do a sort of a video podcast, and yeah, we <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we maybe when we go video, we'll uh, still do that. Where we had this idea of that we sit in these ridiculous monkey suits and uh, <laughs> and and podcast about very serious issues. So thanks very much for your feedback. So there's no great story behind that. We've also got some great topic suggestions coming in by email from a couple of you. Um, people want to hear more about Facebook, Facebook share price, and I've got some interesting news about some guests we're going to have. I'll talk about that towards the end of the show. Um, if people want to know more about the enterprise, social media and enterprise, tech and enterprise, women and technology. Um, I saw there was an interesting article this week about um, Google and a female execs at Google. So I think someone sent that through. That was quite interesting. And then a bit more of the, the geeky topic. Someone said, you guys need to talk about the singularity more. I know that's one of James's. <laughs> I'm happy to talk about that one. I know that's <laughs> one. hours about that one. There we go. So uh, I think we should do a special on that. And um, and Mars and space as well. People are really interested. They've Their passions have been reignited. NASA, Mars and space. So we'll do a little bit about that as well. But on this show, we have a couple of interesting guests. We have Ian MacDonald, who's the founder of Amnesia Razorfish, one of Australia's terrific digital agencies. And we're going to be talking with him about brands and social media. And we're also going to be talking to AJ Khan about Google+. Plus. Is it an opportunity or is it a ghost town? So those two interviews are coming up a little bit later in the show, so stay tuned. Kicking it off as usual, we're going to talk about some of the latest um, tech economy and tech-related news before we get going on the interviews. Um, story we picked up yesterday, some interesting words added to the Oxford Dictionary, James. Yeah, it seems to be a, a new release come out, and it's got a, it's got a few odd ones in there. Uh, do you know what Riddick means? Riddick. Um, um, no, I've got their the list in front of me, and I just see that Riddick. I, 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 I suspect it's a, a teen word for ridiculous. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah, apparently the usage is something like, uh, she looks Riddick in that out outfit. So, <laughs> yeah, look, I hadn't heard of that one before I, I uh, saw this release. The, the English purists must be cringing at all these additions to the language. Yes, there's definitely uh, uh, definitely quite a few uh, changes here. Although there's uh, there's a few interesting ones like tweeps. I see as a as a new word. I've got that one in front of me, and their definition is is as always. Oxford Eng uh, dictionaries is nice and succinct. Their, their definition is plural noun informal. A person's followers on the social networking site Twitter, and they give uh, an example. He told his tweets he was going to a Bruce Springsteen concert. Millions of tweets followed their every tweet. Origin. Early 21st century blend of Twitter, the proprietary name of the social networking site, and peeps. So there we go. English is uh, 
forever changing. Always evolving. Always evolving. I see also Microsoft launched a new logo the first time in about 25 years or so. Yeah, yeah, it's quite an interesting move. It's much more of a, uh, it's just uh, four squares really, kind of uh, multicolored, a bit like Google's kind of color logos. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I actually quite like it. What, what do you think? Look, it's definitely fresher. Mm, it's yeah. It's definitely a lot fresher um, and it integrates, you know, obviously with their operating system and and I've always felt Microsoft have been constrained by their name. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it seems like it's a bit of a move towards the, uh, you know, the, the touch technology where it's kind of like it almost feels like those four panels are kind of like touch logos and it's kind yeah. of evokes a feeling of their Metro UI. So you can you can see where it's come from. I think it's. You know, on one level, fairly intelligent, but, you know, it's also kind of boring. Um, would definitely be, you know, one of the, the valid criticisms of it. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, it's interesting to see where they go. They're obviously putting a lot of effort into thinking about their their positioning and uh, how they're going to tackle the, the ever-growing challenge of their obscure, increasing obscurity, I guess. So. Yeah, look, uh, we'll we'll ask Ian a couple of questions about that because he's his business at one stage was owned by Microsoft. So, mm, yeah. Um, yeah, look, really interesting, interesting company, if only for the the, the fact that um, they the, the, their penetration and impact. It always amazes me wherever you go in the world, you just you just see people sitting behind the glow of of Microsoft operating systems. Yep. Um, Gaming, the gaming world seems there seems to be some uh, some uh, very dramatic politics going on there. Tell yeah, us about this it. is all about the the on live uh, the on live system. Um, yeah, I'm, I've actually been following on live for a little while. Um, what they do is uh, the idea is you could in, instead of running uh, sort of like a home console, home gaming environment, you could run a game in in the cloud, and so you basically have a whole bunch of I guess virtual game servers sitting in the cloud and. And then when you sit at home, you, your TV is basically just a, a dumb terminal connecting to those those virtual servers. Um, it's a very interesting idea. I mean, it's something that I think lots, you know, it's kind of been tried in various iterations before. Um, but this has definitely been the most successful one. And it's getting very close. That kind of technology is, you know, it's, it's almost inevitable that it's going to be the future because, um, you know, if you, if you can, if you can distribute, you know, huge machines in the cloud, just delivering you know uh, large amounts of graph graphic processing, and you don't have to do anything other than just send the the graphical signal, um, you know, down the line and send the, the inputs back. Then it's definitely a uh, you know a step in the in, in a very new direction for uh, uh, for entertainment. But what about what about bandwidth and latency? Yeah, and definitely. Like well, well, bandwidth. These days, not such a big issue. You know, it's uh, you know pipes are always increasing, but latency is you know speed of light is something we haven't got around yet. So, um, you know, the way they're getting around it is within the US. Um, you know, if you have a data center within your country, right, then latency is sort of you can get it down to ten milliseconds, right, and like just if you're sitting at home on your home console, there's normally like about 30, 40 milliseconds latency anyway. So it actually becomes... Is that much on a home console? Yeah, it's just like all the processing and all the right. graphics and all that kind of like response time. You don't notice it because at that point it's so low. But right. like within one country, that latency is actually low enough to um, to become, you know, insignificant. And, you know, that's why these companies keep on trying to be built because on paper it looks like this technology can be done. Um 
you know, obviously it's uh, what's actually happened recently is on live is, uh, you know, they filed this bankruptcy um, suit. I saw that. Yes. It's a very odd, odd thing. I mean, they're basically, uh, uh, I've, I haven't seen a, seen that kind of bankruptcy before. But what they've done is um, they've kept all their, well, they've sold all their assets and everything to a new company called On Live, but then they've kind of absolved all their debt. It's almost like they've just decided to write it all off. I don't know. I saw that, and, and I don't know about it in the States, but in, in Australia, I think there's even a name for that. It's called a Phoenix Company or something, and, uh, I, and I do believe it's, it's in most cases, it is illegal, and, and they're obviously for a company to declare bankruptcy and then just start again as just a, a tool to get rid of their debt is obviously... Um, you can't succeed see them succeeding that well afterwards. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like, you know, all their employee shares have just, just been lost and all that value's diminished. Um, but what I found was interesting, they had they had very heavyweight investors. They had yeah, HTC they and and BT, British... Um, yeah, you know, well, as as massive investors and uh, fifty million, etc. Yeah, the, the technology is really enticing. I mean, th- there are quite a few people trying to do it. I mean, I know Sony, uh, I think, are being eyeing up on live as well to purchase them. You know, before this happens, so that you know, there's actually quite a lot in the space. You know, it's the kind of thing that could either really hit it off, or you know, it's just or could just slump like it has. So, um, you know, I, it's it's a pity because it would be really cool if we could. You know, if we could have that kind of technology, but I think it's still just a little bit before its time. I think, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not totally across the details of this, but there's a saying in business that most bullets are self-inflicted, mm. and um, it would be a shame if it was just mismanagement and etc. But um, look, it's, it'll be an interesting story to follow, and and we might do actually a bit more gaming, st- you know, gaming stories. I know that um, you know James was was. I'm one of the founders of Australia's biggest uh, gaming sites. Used to be biggest, yeah. <laughs> used, to, used to be the biggest. So um, there now, but no. yeah, no, I've been quite involved in that side for a while. So, so we'll we'll talk more about that. I'm I'm you know it's not not generally my. You're no gamer. <laughs> I'm I'm not a gamer. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm looking to get involved with less things in my life, not more. I'm just scared <laughs> I'll find it incredibly compelling. But I'm interested in the gamification of things you know like things like foursquare and you know even the gamification of learning and and that's yeah. that's quite an interesting area gamification for good i think yeah like you say education and health and fitness or that kind of stuff there's very interesting uh always evolving you know uh things happening in those areas particularly in the mobile startup space so i don't think anybody's really brought anything out uh, sort of revolutionary you know in the in the in the recent history but uh you know hopefully something soon uh, yeah, and I've just made a note, we'll definitely, I, I think it's a terrific topic for discussion, the gamification and, and exploring that. If you want to send us some feedback um, on what topics you're interested in, we'd love to know where you're listening from in the world, what you like, what you don't like. We'd like this to be very much a collaborative e- effort. Our email is podcast at itsamonkey.com. You can also tweet us. Our website is itsamonkey.com, obviously. You can also call and leave a message for us, 415-625-3889. That's a U.S. number. Even though we're broadcasting, recording, I should say, from Sydney, Australia, we've actually set up an American number because we know that most of you are based in America, but easy enough to call from anywhere in the world. And it's an interesting way for you to uh, promote your website business. We're happy to give you a shout-out. and um, we'll take it from there. So coming up after the break, we're going to be speaking to Ian MacDonald, who is the founder 
and Executive Creative Director of Amnesia Razorfish. We're going to be talking to him about brands and social media, threat, opportunity, what are their fears. Ian has worked with some of the biggest brands, including brands like IKEA, brands like Unilever or U Unilever with their brands, brands like Disney. So he's got a lot of interesting stories and experiences to share. So stay with us and we'll be back in a moment. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at Manage Flitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. My name is Kevin Garber, you're listening to episode two of the It's a Monkey podcast. Let's talk a little while about commerce and the internet. For those of you that have been around the internet for some time, if you remember the early days of the internet, commerce was not a part of the internet. It came from academic and research foundations. Of course, it wasn't long until commerce discovered the internet and it was around 1994 that the first banner ad, as long ago as that, popped up on the internet and that was the same year that amazon.com came to life and one year later ebay came to life and of course then spam started arriving and everything started flowing out and over the last few years this animal called social media spearheaded by facebook Twitter. Facebook, of course, started out as just something on campus. Twitter started out as people essentially sharing their lunch updates. But these days, social media is not only a core part of our lives, but the big brands that um, are so much a part of our commercial world and, and drive so much about our, uh, around our consumer experience really um, are have to wrap their heads around it, so to speak. So I thought I would get an expert in that's an expert both in the digital space as well as the social media space. And we're lucky enough that he's down the road from the It's a Monkey podcast studios here in Sydney, Australia, except they're in a little bit of the smarter part of town, right by the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Um, I'm, I'm very um, happy that we have Ian McDonald in the studio with us. And Ian is the founder and the executive creator director of Amnesia Razorfish, a digital agency. And they've worked with all the big boys, IKEA, Disney, Pepsi, Unilever, Microsoft, the list goes on. And I like it, Ian, on your um, LinkedIn profile, you have your speciality as understanding the modern digital consumer. <laughs> um, I try. <laughs> That's all I can say. Um, in a landscape where consumers literally do evolve so quickly that it's something that keeps you on your feet pretty much all day long. So tell us what goes on in the halls of power of these, these Uber brands in terms of social media. Is there a sense of opportunity and excitement or do they are, are their teeth chattering with fear? Yeah, it's, it's definitely both. And I think if you... If you break it down, uh, advertisers have always followed eyeballs and there are so many eyeballs in social media now that uh, there's an expectation that it's going to provide some new holy grail of marketing uh, for a lot of people. Uh, I think um, on the same side, we're seeing changes in the consumer in terms of how much time they're spending watching television, consuming print, etc. So there is a bit of a, a, a panic. The world's fragmenting pretty quickly. 
So social media has been on everybody's lips for a long time. It's, it's, it's nothing new. Um, having said that, though, the, the problems are still there within a lot of these brands. They, they, they do fear it. Uh, it's it's fundament fundamentally true. People sit there lying awake at night wondering whether their social media campaign is going to get them sacked. And a lot of the time, even at a big brand level, the, the marketing teams might have been said, go away, you've got to nail social media. They may not feel truly empowered to do that. So in a, an age where you have to be authentic and transparent, the same doesn't necessarily play out in the social media uh, space. Brands aren't necessarily themselves. People aren't necessarily themselves when they're representing their brands. And some social channels are still controlled by corporate affairs in a, a lot of um, instances with the big brands. A lot of uh, employees aren't allowed to speak. They're not allowed to be themselves. So there's a real kind of paradox whilst, whilst these brands try and figure out how to deal with this social media issue, all the opportunity and all the responsibility at the same time. And there seems to be, uh, in, in the last couple of years, a real shift in power onto the consumer, which I would imagine that these big brands have really felt trickle trickle up all the way from the the the, the, um, the shop floor, so to speak, right up through to the executive level. Yeah, um, obviously consumers are very much in control these days, and and I think brands have a lot of different strategies with dealing with that. And if you're a brand in peril and you you know your con consumers are prone to complaining about you. It's very difficult to um, think about opening up a Facebook page where you think that's just going to become a wall of complaints. And that's where brands have to think a little bit more strategically about their approach to these channels, especially if they're still getting into it. And a lot of big brands still are just getting into it. They may have had a Twitter or a Facebook page for some time, but it doesn't mean that they've got a robust strategy. So when you think about how problems like how are we going to make sure that our Facebook page isn't just going to be a wall of complaints, then you have to start thinking at a completely different level other than just having an open re for response kind of forum. So, you know, some of the tactics for dealing with that is creating compelling content, running things which allow consumers to see that they l exist on a different level, they can speak to them about other things, and pushing that, drowning that noise of uh, maybe worse stuff, complaints, etc., further down into a, into another area. So again, the way that these things are being dealt with is a lot more strategic. What I found interesting when I was researching this topic that Best Buy, which is the American um, mm -hmm. um, retailer of, of electronic goods, apparently they have 3,000 staff tweeting yep. out and, um, and they, th they're trying to create what they call a human search engine for their prospects and customers. Yep. I, I thought that that, that was quite an a yeah. innovative approach. Yeah, so Twelfth Force is probably you know, one of the better known case studies in social for staff actually being the front of, of social media. And we, Razorfish globally was very much a, a part of, of that. And I think, uh, I mean, it's gone so well for them in, in so many ways. It's actually become the, the TV ad, the stories that have come out of their actual staff helping real consumers has actually become the TV ads themselves. So you can see when it's used in a positive light to, to refocus the, the, the lens on, on positive stories and actually helping and 
trusting the employees to do that and that again it reaffirms that Best Buy, Best Buy have good people they have people they can trust they have people that can go out and have a voice and there's risk attached to that make no mistake there's big risk um, and if you're the wrong executive that doesn't really have the the balls to go and make a move like that those things never happen and we we at Twelfth Force is one of those case studies that probably gets mentioned in every other social media meeting that we have with brands it really is up there it's something that people look at and go well how do we do that and fundamentally i think um, a lot of brands don't trust their staff or they don't know how to trust their staff they don't know what what capabilities their staff should have should is their receptionist going to be the best person to tweet on behalf of them or is it somebody they need to hire in or is it people they can train there are all these quandaries that just seem to hold the beast back on so many levels for for brands you need a huge amount of confidence as an organization to do that and i guess i would imagine it's a good point of questioning if you don't have that confidence to do that there may be other structural challenges yeah. which are worth looking at and it, uh, it does come down to what's what your brand is who your brand br- what your brand stands for what your brand values are and there's certainly more br- some brands are more more suitable for social than than others so if you're a very uh, fuddy-duddy financial brand it's that much harder to start a conversation you probably don't have the right corporate structure that's going to be able to think about social media easily Whereas maybe if you're a Unilever brand like Lynx, you have a lot more um, freedom to, to go and talk in a different way, have a different tone of voice. And I think, uh, and to that extent, a lot of brands are actually rethinking what their brand values are. Their brand identity can start to shift to reflect their tone of voice, how they communicate in their above-the-line communications and how they communicate in channels like social, which can be a very different tone of voice. Interestingly, yesterday there was an, uh, an example of a big brand who's one of their staff on the ground tweeted out, and appropriately, it was actually twi- a Twitter employee tweeting out about Twitter. Um, um, as um, people might be aware, there has been this Twitter API evolution, and um, yesterday, um, Twitter, um, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, Twitter disconnected Tumblr from its uh, finding friends feature, etc. And one of the developers at Twitter yesterday actually tweeted out something along the lines that this isn't cool. And someone else tweeted, whoa, is this going to be um, redundancy 3.0 or something like this? Mm. And he tweeted out, he said, nope, my tweet's still up there and my position still stays the same. So yeah. interestingly that I would imagine Twitter are, are open to a little bit of um, internal yeah. self-criticism publicly as well. Well, I think um, we've seen a few examples of that. There was the uh, Google employee that um, d- had a real blast about uh, about Google Plus last That's year. Right. That, was a le- that was a leak though. Yeah, uh, look, um, maybe kind of, but it certainly it was uh, in, internal and so, uh, they didn't take it down right. at the end of the day. And I think the tech, the tech culture companies are, are, have been better at the free, practicing freedom of speech over the years, and we've seen a we've seen a, a lot of that, <laughs> and a lot of that is pushed back. I mean, we have a a lot of brands that just don't allow their their employees to talk about their brand. They're literally blocked. There are even companies which you won't get a job if you have a Facebook profile. So we've got all ends of the the spectrum here in terms of what you can and can't do within a social media context in relation to your brand 
Um, Twitter, on the other hand, I, d I don't think it's in their interest to stop those things. I think um, I, if we go back maybe about to around 2004 when Microsoft employees were allowed to start blogging, um, Bill Gates m made an incredible move. I think he was very forthright in saying, I see blogging as the future. In some ways, he was, uh, you know, he really did sort of predict what was, was going to happen. It sort of laid the foundation for all sorts of things. And, and it was at that point when, when the uh, teams from Office and the different development environments had a voice to the public for the first time. And instead of having this Darth Vader-like image which the Microsoft <laughs> brand had, um, other developers suddenly saw that the people that were working on those projects were people just like them. They experienced the same ups, downs, difference of opinions. It, and all of a sudden it blew open what Microsoft was. And I think fundamentally that brand has changed because of the openness that they they actually had back in the day. People like Scobalizer were born out of mm. that change in regime when the only thing you ever heard from was Bill Gates and the Microsoft logo talking as Microsoft. That's not the case there. Um, their employees have a lot more freedom to go out, to go and speak, to wear their, you know, they're not wearing uh, necessarily bow ties and ties in it when they're talking in front of audiences. Microsoft's been a, a very interesting company, especially me having a little bit more access over the years. We were actually owned by Microsoft at one point. To actually see inside there, they're not the beast that a lot of people thought they actually were. And they sure. weren't probably that w back in the day when people thought they were that. Speaking of Microsoft, they launched their new logo, which apparently is the first new logo since 1994? Yeah, 27 years or something. Some, think, something yeah. like that. Um, do you have any thoughts on the timing and the and, and I did the, the, the philosophies and, and uh, the, the look and feel of the new logo? Yeah, look, I think brands all the time, they have to um, stay contemporary. And Microsoft is a, you know, it's an older brand when you look at it now. So, you know, doing a refresh, I think, <laughs> you're always going to get a diversity of opinions when there's change on anything. Pepsi changed its logo a couple of years ago, and uh, you know some people loved it, some people hated it. But you do need to communicate to your audience that you are changing, you're prepared to change, and that you can change. And sometimes that exists at the very top level of, of brand thinking. Your logo actually says so much about you. <laughs> so it's, it's a good way for Microsoft to actually say, look, we're... We're not the same company. Well, we are prepared to change. We are pre prepared to shift. And I think they did a good job of that with Windows 7. Vista was a disaster. Right. And they learned so many lessons from that. And I think getting real people to input what they wanted out of the next version, which became 7, was critical to the strategy and actually part of their their marketing. Uh, I think they, they did a they did a pretty good job. To go from Vista to seven was a was a major leap. And I think this is probably just talking more to that. We're pushing the brand forwards. Windows 8's on the way, there's more change. Um, and hopefully, you know, they'll they'll do an okay job at, at it. I think there's still a place in the world for Microsoft. That's a uh, that's a very uh, um, Interesting statement, um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, they're always the, the interesting religious debates of Microsoft versus open source versus Apple, etc. Um, my name is Kevin Garber. You're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast where we talk about everything relating to the tech economy. Um, with me is my in-studio guest, Ian McDonald, who is the founder and executive creative director of Amnesia Razorfish. 
and um, his aim in life is to understand the modern digital consumer. Ian, can you paint for us, just give us uh, one other case study. We spoke about Best Buy and the Twelp Force. Um, just, I, I guess, uh, you know, from the, from the front line of perhaps an organization that started out from the position of fear, but um, to had a little bit of confidence and, and, and took out some initiative, whether it's relating to a, a YouTube, even some of the newer Pinterests, Instagram, and actually had something that impacted ultimately not only the brand, but the bottom line as well. Yeah. Um, I think the one that probably stands out for me personally was um, P&O Cruises locally in Australia. They, uh, when we started talking to them uh, probably about five or six years ago, really uh, around the early days of Facebook, um, they had they had corporate policies which forced uh, for, uh, p people couldn't even open those pages, whether it was <laughs> anything from MySpace to Facebook, etc. Um, and uh, an absolute fear of, of digital. Um, they're also a, a company in peril at the time. They had uh, the Diane Brimble rape case. There were all sorts of things they thought that opening up to a social world was going to cause them a, a world of hurt. Um, and it was actually the CEO, Anne Sherry, who is, is a, 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 an amazing person, somebody that's able to make real decisions. She literally stood up in front of her staff after us presenting a strategy and saying, right, we're going to do this and we're going to do it this week. And that from that day forward, it, it, it changed. And um, if you look at their Facebook community now, they have something like 70,000, 80,000 uh, people, but they're not just likes these aren't just people that have hit a button these are really uh, vested customers that that answer questions that other customers have people going on a cruise they'll post how many days you know 600 days to my next cruise and and that has affected their bottom line we we literally could see the impact through their blog posts around certain topics through to actual sales and they 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 literally have gone so far in in just five or six years it's quite phenomenal to see see the the change and uh, i think i think they've got a very compelling emotional product of holidays and and experiences which uh, not to detract from the ceo's achievements in terms yeah. of having the vision but that's one thing i've often wondered about airlines airlines are these that they catalyze amazing experiences in terms of yeah. business opportunities holidays family experiences and yet when i think of most of the airline brands, even around the world, they, s they feel to me as one-dimensional. Yeah. Um, look, I think the, it's a very competitive space, the airline industry. And the, I think some of them have, have, have made some really good uh, moves. Air New Zealand is really a stand-up social media case. And, you know, you can certainly can't accuse them of being one-dimensional. They've done the, the uh, amazing in-flight safety manuals yep. with the guys wearing, you know, they've, they've got painted nude bodies. And they've had Rico, the uh, Henson character, which does all the double entendre. And, and I think they've really... Um, again, pushed the boundaries. Obviously, they're probably a smaller market. There's less at risk. They can take sure. a few few punts on a few things, but they've done very well uh, socially. So, um, Air New Zealand does the um, the ferry ferry godmother, the Air New Zealand ferry godmother that grants one wish a day, and I think they've found some really good, interesting, unique ways to tackle social. I think Qantas are 
doing a good job. We're we're doing some work with them at the moment, and they're, again, they're putting their foot forward on best foot forward on that stuff, and it's worked very well for them. KLM have done some outstanding work as as well. So they're, they're, there's good good examples. Again, patching up and down. I think what it comes down to though is that most customers are interested in the experience. You know, they want to go through. They don't want to be stood in queues when sure. they and and so that whole end-to-end journey is something that the airlines are, are all taking a bit more interest in it's not just when you're sat in your seat it's actually from the moment you start thinking about your holiday to actually the point you <laughs> you land safely and return and get back to your home there's a, there's a a lot more stages in the journey that's that are being thought about within a digital context and a consumer journey context so i think we'll see airline travel become a lot better and i think as us as digital consumers and all our devices I think we'll we'll see them become much more part of the the interaction as we as we move through you know in in flight pre-flight and how those are integrated into things like loyalty systems will be quite interesting over the next few years a couple of years ago I used a social application developed by Lufthansa where you plugged in your flight number and it would tweet out automatically while you were in the air it would tweet out to your followers um, where you were on your journey yeah and that was pretty cool i like yeah. that i thought it was especially to to a, a a digital obsessive like me and a couple of my family members actually quite liked that landed up being buggy and a bit deprecated but i mm. thought that that was a, a quirky little maybe niche example but but something that um you know represents p- perhaps a, a symbol of a bit of a broad opportunity for for companies like airlines yeah oh look we're, we're moving to this stage where you know wi-fi in airplanes is going to be a, a standard at some point already in the u.s on domestic flights it's pretty much expected you see you hear I stories it. it's, of it's, uh, <laughs> i get my best work done in the air in the well, in the u.s internal flights that's right these and and these um spaces are where you you literally do have a captive audience, <laughs> they're they're incredible opportunities for all sorts of things. So I think airlines are going to play a more and more critical part in a in a lot more businesses uh, in in the future. Not just the brand that you're flying on, but I think we'll start to experience a lot a lot of other brands coming into those environments as well. Ian, I really appreciate you coming in. I'd like to talk to you again sometime. I hope you're going to be a regular on the podcast, especially since. Uh, we have a world expert down the road um, from us. I'm going to put all of Ian's details up, his Twitter account, and um, I assume you on every single social media network. Um, but uh, I'm sure it can all be hooked in through Ian's um, Twitter account. And um, yeah, we, we hope to talk more about uh, brand, social media, uh, everything, everything in this wonderful uh, digital space of ours soon. Thanks for having me, Kevin. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at Manage Flitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. That was Ian McDonald and uh, Ian says that Microsoft still has a place in the world, James. That's the one takeaway. <laughs> very bold, very bold. <laughs> no, it's a, it's, it, you know, it's a very interesting perspective. I mean, it's, you know, he it has a very uh, sort of inside uh, view of the Microsoft world. And, uh, you know, I, I trust his opinion. <laughs> I trust his opinion too. Really smart, experienced, um, 
um, guy and, and he's given us some interesting input about managed flutter of course which is our, one, one of our products we did uh, I, I mentioned tumblr in there but i actually re- realized i didn't actually talk we didn't talk about it before the interview now yesterday uh, f- twitter came came out and and disconnected tumblr from its uh, friend finder link up integration yep twitter unfollowed uh, tumblr <laughs> twitter unfollowed tumblr yeah. they 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 broke up or twitter broke up with tumblr yeah they broke up yeah so the next in the stream of their uh, their breaking of the connections. Of course, they broke up with LinkedIn <coughs> a little while ago, and they they seem to be really consolidating services uh, where people consume tweets inside those services. They they seem to be wanting to to get rid of those one by one. Yeah, there was um, there was actually quite an art- interesting article on the Verge today talking about um, Twitter's strategy, and it was, you know they are they are kind of making uh, Twitter. Um, as a as the product Twitter, as opposed to you know opening it up, they really want to control that uh, consumer experience, and um, and that step is basically you know creating that that wall garden um, between their users and, and any other potential social service. Um, that makes sense for the long term, you know. I think uh, many people would say it, it no, but um, you know it's very hard to sort of see and understand internally, you know, where they're going with the strategy, and there are a lot of very smart people at the top there, so. You know, it's hard to know. Hard to know where they're going to end up. And yeah, and and I can't believe they that they're not having fascinating and uh, d- debates. You you have to assume that 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 they there is a bit of a, a method in their strategy. I think sometimes the comments have been have been quite harsh and patronizing towards them. And 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 I'm pretty sure they've thought through a lot of the issues. Not to say they shouldn't be open to to feedback. Because uh, if they if they're not, that can also bite them. But um, I I, th- I think that's been quite there's been quite a bit of viciousness towards Twitter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, yeah maybe uh, too much of it. But uh, we we hope that we hope there's a a reason behind their madness. <laughs> yeah. Well, le- um, and we actually James posted a blog post on the 89n.com blog last week with our view about the Twitter platform changes that were announced last week. So if you're interested in that and you want to see where we stand on that, have a look. Remember, you can email us to podcast at itsamonkey.com or you can call us and leave a message, 415-625-3889. And we'd like to know who you are, what topics you'd like to hear about and um, what you think of the podcast. We'd, We'd like to keep this going and we'd like to keep the frequency at about once a week or once every two weeks. And um, coming up after the break, we are going to be speaking to AJ Khan. Now, AJ is the owner of a digital agency called Blind Five-Year-Old that specializes in a lot of search engine marketing strategies. And we're gonna talk to him about Google+. Plus. I saw him do a presentation um, at the SEO Moz conference where he highlighted a lot of strategies to make really good use of Google+. Plus. So we're going to be talking to him straight after this break. Stay with us. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code monkey2 at Manage Flitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. You're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast brought to you by 89N. Of course, 89N is the home of Manage Flitter. And I'm very excited to have our very first guest on our very first podcast. 
AJ Khan, all the way from California, USA, who is the owner of Blind Five Year Old, which is an online marketing firm that specializes in search. Hi, AJ. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm very good. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I came across your presentation uh, on the MozCon page, which has a load of great presentations. If anyone is interested in terrific, up-to-date SEO, social media, the whole shebang, some really terrific presentations there. And I came across your presentation on Google Plus, and you had me at the headline, which was, what if I told you Google Plus works? Yes, yes, uh, the, the Morpheus quote from The Matrix, and I presented it MozCon about Google Plus uh, to a lot of skeptics, and my goal was to, to get them to take the red pill uh, and to see Google Plus as a real opportunity to uh, really move their brands forward uh, and to claim uh, a lot of positions on SERPs uh, with the rise of personalized search, which is just growing tremendously. Okay, now before we get into a little bit of the nitty-gritty which you covered in your presentation, which I did find quite interesting, just want to take a step back and talk a little bit about the big picture of Google+. Plus. Of course, Google+, Plus hit its first year birthday around June, July-ish. Um, a lot of metrics came out about it's doing well, it's not doing well. You posted some metrics in your presentation, which I have in front of me, your, the, the user metrics, which um, have been growing. Just talk me through your view and some of the metrics which have been coming from different angles and presenting a different picture of, of what the status of, of Google Plus is. Sure. Uh, you know, it's a little confusing because everybody wants to try and compare it to every other social network that is out there. And uh, clearly, by almost every benchmark, whether you're looking at uh, compete numbers or hitwise numbers or the numbers that are reported from Google, which, of course, people are suspect of, um, it's rising. Uh, and the real interesting part is a lot of this is on mobile, which is not easily tracked. And the other part of it is a lot of this content is private. Um, and because of the way that Google Plus works with circles, a fair amount of the activity is not really exposed. And so it becomes a little difficult to figure out exactly how much uh, the service is being used. So uh, I would say, as I see it, engagement continues to, to go up. Uh, it's there's. Um, a lot of different reasons that I see that things are, are moving forward. And uh, my macro uh, view is Google has Android, and Android is the largest smartphone provider out there, and they have a very tight integration with Google+. Plus. So by hook or by crook, I think that Google's going to get people to use Google+. Plus. Let me ask you a question then. If the Google Plus stats are so good, why are Google not releasing more in-depth stats around engagement, around usage? It almost seems like they have something to hide. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think there's certainly, uh, you know, Google historically uh, doesn't like to telegraph how well they're doing. Uh, until they're sort of at a point where they feel like they have a very defensible position. So AdWords was like that. 
Um, and in many respects, Android was like that. Even Chrome, uh, in many respects. Uh, I mean, you can go through all the different services which uh, Google has sort of now become a dominant leader in. Uh, up until they really secured that dominant position, they often are quite secretive. Um, you know, they're uh, they get targeted for their "do no, you know, uh, be good and do no evil" sort of motto. But I, I wouldn't confuse that with uh, them being a very savvy business-oriented company. They they know that they need to play it close to the vest and not give away uh, sort of what's going on. I do have to admit that their Android app is really um, is pretty slick. It's pretty fantastic, and I admit that I have been using Google Plus more and more. Some of our own stats at Manage Flitter, where we of course provide an integration service between Google Plus and Twitter, our metrics there are dropping the whole time. But of course, that is only the public posts that people are making but literally every month for the last 15 months the post per user public post per user has been dropping interesting interesting yeah i it's a it's a strange service uh and i think the the interesting thing is it may really not be uh the type of social network that uh, many people expect uh, and in, in a lot of respects, I don't even think it's, it's fair to compare it to other social networks because it's an identity platform. It's really meant to give them uh, a, a primary set of data to measure engagement on content, those types of things. So uh, they have so many different reasons to, to have the network. Uh, but I will say the the Android app is absolutely dynamite. I think it's the app that Facebook, frankly, wanted to build but hasn't. I, I agree with you, and I, I think it's certainly um, you spot on. I, I totally concur that it is not the type of traditional social media platform along the lines of Twitter or Facebook. And in fact, it reminds me a lot more of a hybrid between a forum and a blogging platform. I would agree. Uh, I mean, my view, and I know a little bit uh, about sort of the genesis of Google+, Plus. Uh, is it takes a lot of its DNA from FriendFeed. Uh, right. And FriendFeed was a very different social network as well. It, it, it was more of sort of this curation, microblog kind of service. And uh, that's certainly where a lot of uh, Google Plus started. I think they've, they've done a lot more. Their Hangout on air is, is crazy. Uh, the events are, are clearly interesting. But uh, I mean, I think they they definitely are more about sort of this streaming of of uh, thought. It's it's a little bit of Tumblr. It's a you know it, it's a very strange service, and I don't even really know exactly how it's going to wind up at this point. Of course, they even on record as as commenting, oh, it's Google Plus as a social media destination versus social spine that that draws in all its products that people sort of revolve around in a sense. Right. Yes. Uh, you know, I think the other, uh, again, you know, uh, the red number notifier that they have throughout a lot of the ecosystem is, again, sort of uh, they're using it as a way to thread the uh, sort of social throughout the entire platform. 
and uh, just allow people to do that. And, you know, the YouTube integration is actually quite nice as well. So they're, um, you know, I know that when they first launched, they were frankly surprised at the speed in which people were signing up and using the service. So I think they're actually far happier about where it is now than they had anticipated. You're listening to Kevin Garber on the It's a Monkey podcast. I'm talking to AJ Khan from Blind Five Year Old, an online marketing firm specializing in search. We're talking about Google Plus, and we've just covered a little bit of the the background and the content. AJ, let's let's dig into this. What if I told you Google Plus works? Because in your presentation, you've got a lot of juicy um, information about how it is already working and how to make it work. Sure. Yeah. It's. It's pretty amazing what Google Plus can do if you use it appropriately. And my presentation was really about brands. I've I have a whole nother blog post about using it for, for personal uses. But for brands, getting someone to circle you on Google Plus is essentially giving you the opportunity to personalize their search results. And uh, I I had to use my wife's account because I've sort of created my account and it's crazy now. But my wife is a late adopter. She's just getting into Facebook. So I used her account. And what's interesting is you can sign up. And I signed up for Gucci and Burberry and a couple other fashion brands. And then you start doing a search. And with personalization on, and that's that little toggle now when you're logged into to Google, you can go from a personalized search to generic search results. And when personalized search is on, you get tremendously different results, and it is fully uh, really responsible for uh, who you're following on Google+. So, you know, I was following Gucci. I looked up something which was related, and instead of getting one result from Gucci, there were four results from Gucci. Um, That's huge. And this makes a lot of sense for Google, I guess, because of course their ads can now be targeted even more tightly, which means more effective ads, more revenue, happier advertisers, and so it goes. I think it's it's not even so much about advertising, though there is that, but it's if the it is about making the user happy. Because if 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 Google knows that you like Gucci and you search for something and they know that there's Gucci results for that, well, of course, they want to make it more relevant for you. So if it's more relevant, you're going to use Google more, you're going to search more, you're going to use it more, and of course, you're going to get served more ads and Google will make more money. So I think it's super about relevance that you know if they know you like these five brands, great. Then when you search for something related to that brand, we'll make sure that your your favorite brands are in those search results. It's essentially the explicit uh, signals that they are are hoping to get from people. You know, instead of saying, "Well, we think you like this brand," it's like, "Hey, you follow these five brands, great." When you search, we'll make sure those are in the search results. And what's really interesting is that it's like a social media accelerator because once you circle that brand and if the brand has done the right job on Google Plus in connecting Google Plus to their Facebook account and their Twitter account, Google's happy to return results from Facebook and Twitter. They don't care uh, as long as it's more relevant uh, for the user. So it really allows a brand to 
leverage all of the investment that they've already made in Facebook and Twitter and other platforms and uh, maximize it in search results, which is really where, really where you want it, uh, because that's when you know search intent and uh, purchase intent and all that stuff is is highest. You mentioned if brands have done the right job. Give us we we, we are coming a bit close to time, but give us give us a few tips, um, takeaways that brands or personal brands, individuals, mm-hmm. are probably missing out on and can do in Google Plus to basically leverage some of the, the, the unique aspects that you've been speaking about. Sure. So first, when you set up the profile, make sure that if you're a brand, you're uh, linking to all of your other social profiles. That's huge. Uh, from a very traditional sort of SEO perspective, use your keywords. Don't keyword stuff but if you know you're about a certain topic make sure you talk about that in your profile and when you post uh, I, the, the thing that I don't see many people doing is using sort of a title and and because that's what's gonna show up in the search result you're gonna create the title so the first words in that post you can make that bold make it easy for people to read and make sure that it's what you want uh, to appear in search results and the other one I would say is, uh, you know, don't be afraid to go and circle people. I think the biggest trick that I, I give people is go and do a search for something related to your brand, and you're going to get all this content back, everything that people are posting, the people who are interested in it, and essentially you can go and follow all those people, comment on their stuff. Uh, it's it's a community that's about engagement. So uh, the biggest tip I also have is you got to spend a little more time. Uh, it's difficult to put on auto- autopilot. So get in there and do a little bit of work. Terrific, AJ. I really thank you for being uh, our very special first guest on our very special special uh, it's a monkey podcast I have no doubt we are going to be talking to you more about Twitter you've been posting some really interesting blogs mm. um, uh, blog entries about Twitter and uh, I hope we'll have you back soon uh, people can find you at AJ Khan. I'll put up some links etc um, but thanks for joining us on the it's a monkey podcast thank you for having me I'm uh, very flattered to be the first one the It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at Manage Flitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. It's AJ Khan. Now, um... You mentioned he was the first guest on the first podcast. Obviously, that podcast was recorded, that in, that particular interview was recorded a little while back and we had a little bit of shuffling of guests around. So just in case you were quick enough to realize that he wasn't the first guest on the first <laughs> podcast um, and we're not quite going mad. James, Google Plus, I, I was quite interested to see that it can actually, you can actually uh, be used to augment your SEO results quite cleverly. Yeah, it, it's it, it is interesting. It's uh, I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's a Google property, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think all this stuff is a very untapped uh, resource. Um, you know, Twitter has always kind of been a 
you know, there's so much link sharing going on there that it hasn't really, because of, you know, Google's uh, temperamental relationship with Twitter, you know, hasn't really ever evolved into much sort of solid SEO stuff. So it's interesting to see that that's, you know, that could be a solution on uh, Google+. Plus. I'm just really, like, I really want to love Google+, Plus, but I just really want to, I know in Manage Flutter, we've got the service that's, that integrates Google+, Plus with Twitter, and I'm just really waiting until we can integrate Twitter with Google+. Plus. And then I got a feeling that I'll send most of my posts to Google+, Plus. some of them I won't, but it will also force me then to sometimes only put posts on Google+. Plus. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to have those avenues. I mean, I... You know, I, I used to post an awful lot of stuff to Twitter and then I used to kind of share it across to Facebook and and now, like, I've actually post more stuff to Facebook and I very rarely post to Twitter. And I think it's just, you know, if you don't have those avenues and you kind of don't have that way to transition across. So in some ways, you know, Google's kind of shooting themselves in the foot by not having that door open. But um, that's, that's a discussion for another day, the, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the Google Plus API. It's, what's, what's most fascinating about all this technology um, issues is they actually reduced to one thing. They actually reduced to people issues. Yeah, they they all come down to politics and untangling the politics of, of it all. And I think for the most part, um, it's it's mostly friendly warfare, um, which <laughs> is, but it's it still sometimes leaves a, a little bit of mysteries. I'm very excited to say though, um, James, episode number three, which is next week, hopefully. Um, we're going to have a, f- a, a, a finance and a, a tech economy finance and Facebook special. Um, we've got a couple of guests lined up. So coming up next week on that special, we've got Professor Ritter, who's from a university in Florida, and he's done a lot of research on IPOs and particularly tech IPOs. So we'll be talking to him about the tech IPO. Is it still a viable option? Is it still the smartest option for companies to to raise funds, to have a liquidity event? There's obviously been a lot of mixed results with Zynga, Groupon, uh, Facebook, of course. And then we'll actually be talking about Facebook in particular with Sam Hamade. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's the CEO um, in New York of Provco. And he's got a lot of interesting insights into the Facebook sh- um, share price and outlook of Facebook itself, which I find, a, a, a qu- uh, for obvious reasons, a, a very fascinating share. Yeah, it'd be great. We'll uh, finally finally be able to know if we'll be able to if we should be investing in Facebook or not, or if or if, uh, or if we made the the right move not buying any of those stocks. <laughs> well, I, I still think Facebook. I, I take the speculative punt that it's uh, there's a lot of monetization points still to to explore, but um, we'll we'll get into that next week. So thanks very much for listening. Remember podcast at itsamonkey.com. You can follow us on Twitter at monkey podcast. We even on Facebook at uh, it's a monkey. And please send us feedback. Tell us what you love, what you hate. Until next week, um, it's a goodbye from Kevin Garber and James Peter here at 89n.com.